Psalm 16, if you want to turn there. And let's read through it and come back and see what the Lord has for us. Um, Psalm 16. Uh, the title is it, The Hope of the Faithful and the Messiah's Victory. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you, and as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Well, their sorrow shall be multiplied, though whose hasten, those who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor will I take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, and yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, verse 1, trusting in God. He says, preserve me. And the word preserve is to keep and to guard and to watch over and protect. And David's asking for something that he's already uh, been getting from the Lord already beginning in his early life he'd be out tending sheep and the Lord would protect him and watch over and keep guard he would defeat lions and bears that would be trying to take out the sheep and the Lord would deliver those into David's hand as a young man and uh, also when he's facing giants the Lord protected him the Lord would uh, watch over him and guard him and keep him And then when he was running from Saul, the Lord would uh, protect and keep him then, even delivering Saul into his hands. And then uh, David then not taking Saul's life, but proving that the Lord was with him. And uh, you all know the story. And also on fighting the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel, David knew that the Lord was with him and keeping him. But he says in Psalm 16, preserve me. Well, we each have our own accounts, we do, of how the Lord has protected us and preserved us. And if, uh, you know, providing for us. And it's good to remember these things. It's good to see his hand and remember when it was his hand that was in our life. Something that only he can do. There's so many things that we try and think that we do for ourselves. Maybe we quit smoking and we had the gumption to go do so or whatever. But truth is, we're sinners. And the only thing that keeps us from just trailing after sin is his grace and his mercy and his Holy Spirit who he's given to us. So he is preserving us and protecting us. And it's good to remember the things that that we've seen in our lives that only he can do. Then he gets the glory, right? Otherwise, we take the glory. And we know that's just not the way it's supposed to go. And uh, so if you're not sure, well, then ask him to remind you. You know, he'll remind you. Really, ask him with the sincerity of your heart to, to show you and remind you what he did in your life that only he can do. And so that whole thing is for us. He gets the glory, but... The whole thing is for us that we know his love for us. And we can, without a doubt, truthfully, give him glory and give him thanks. And it's not just a rote, you know, prayer, but it's from our hearts. We can give him that glory. We can give him that thanksgiving because we know it's only him who could have done it. And so David's asking, Lord, preserve. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, we can ask God, for God's protection to watch over us anytime. We can always ask. And that really is the beginning of our walk with the Lord, isn't it? You know, to begin to ask him for, first of all, forgiveness. Ask him into our hearts. Ask him to take all our sin. And uh, he does, and he sets us free. And he watches over us and protects us from that point. Every day we begin walking with him. Ask him for his protection. Ask him to watch over us. And he will. Any activity any event in our lives, good or bad. Maybe we're going to see the doctor. Maybe we're going into surgery. Maybe we've got to go and do something that we really don't want to do and we don't even know if the Lord's in it. Ask him to watch over us. Ask him to lead us and guide us and give, him, give us wisdom. So the Bible says, or I should say what's our part uh, in this and what he says, is because he puts his trust in the Lord. Um, 
That's our part. The word trust is really in this definition of that word in Psalm 16, verse 1, is to seek refuge, to flee for protection, to confide in, and, uh, and be thankful. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and the fact that David put his trust in God is written throughout the Psalms. And as you read through it, you'll see often how he puts his trust in the Lord. And it's also written in the account of his life in, in uh, Samuel and, and Kings and uh, Chronicles. But it comes with a, an aspect of depending on God for your very life. It's a little different these days. I mean, we do pray and we do seek the Lord when we're going into a tough time. Back then, he was taking his sword up and he was going out to battle. And there was a lot of guys out there. There's arrows flying everywhere. You do have to trust God for your very life. You know, and so it's a little different story for us, even though we're coming into days that may very well have something more to do with that than we realize. And so we need to be ready and be willing to seek refuge, to flee for, perfect, for uh, protection, and to confide in him, um, that kind of trust. Um, and so it comes with that aspect of depending on God for your very life. You can trust a chair to have the strength to hold you up. It's that kind of trust. The difference between believing, I can believe a lot of things, but I might not trust it. I might not be putting my life at stake for it. But when it comes to the Lord, the kind of trust, the kind of faith that he's talking about here is as much as you trust a chair that's going to hold you up, it's not going to teeter and break. And sometimes we find those chairs. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, that's the kind of trust we're talking about here. Something you lay down and put your hands or put your life into his hands. And that kind of trust. Not just believing and saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. What, what does the Bible say? It says even the demons believe. And they tremble. But it's more for us. It's a trust. It's a, it's a faith. And so there's a difference um, between just believing and fully trusting and putting your dependence on God. People put their trust in a lot of things these days, especially when times are troubling. And when they reject God and his authority in their lives, well, then they begin to trust the most ridiculous and empty things, and it really just turns them into slaves. It really just, you become a slave to those things. Those things become your master because that's where you've put your trust, and now you've got to continue to feed that machine, and it's going to continue to eat up everything you give it without giving anything in return. And that's the slavery people get into, and yet God's authority comes with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And yes, he has ultimate authority in our lives. A lot of people don't like that. They want to be their own boss. I mean, we've seen it before. The hat, the t-shirt, you ain't the boss of me. That's the, that's the statement for this generation. And Paul says, writes to Timothy and says the very same thing. You know, this, the, in that generation, men will be lovers of self. They will not be willing to heed sound doctrine. All they're going to want to do is what they feel like doing. If it feels good, do it. And that's been going on, and we see it now just prevalent there's no holds barred right now and um, so rather than trust and serve the God who created them loves them and provides for them even sending his son to provide how much he provides for us redemption and salvation from their sins instead they put their trust in their own strength or their own abilities many consider themselves to be a good person that God would give eternal life because they do good works or they think of themselves as being good and honest and righteous. And that brings us to verse 2. David says, O oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And some of the other translations basically will tell you there's just nothing good in me. And we know that's true, but for, for review, you know, David knows himself well enough to declare my soul says you are my Lord. Because he says that. He says, oh, my soul, do the talking. You know, I'm not going to just feign words. Let's bring it from the heart. Let's bring it from the real person here. And he says, you know, my soul knows you are my Lord. He's laid it all before the Lord. And the Lord, um, and, he, and he knows himself enough to know his own heart and mind and soul is depending on his God. So he can say to his soul, Lord, you are my God. Lord, you are my Lord. He also knows himself well enough to say, there is no good in himself apart from God. We've got to know ourselves that well. 
Because self-righteousness is real easy to do, especially when you bend down and you start calling out to go uh, uh, out to the Lord again, and you find yourself just, oh, is He going to hear me? I got to do something. There's got to be something I can do to straighten this out. And you start building up works, and you start trying to add something to that cross rather than just letting that cross be complete. Remember, He said it is finished. You're not going to add anything to that. You, there's nothing in you that's going to add to what happened on that cross. And we need to know that. We need to know ourselves well enough to know that there is no good thing in us. And that's not easy because we like to think ourselves good people. I never, I'm not as bad as this guy or I'm that guy. I mean, we, these days we see the news and all it is is all the things that we see people doing and all the evil that's there and some of it's affecting our very lives. And rather than get bitter and think, gee, you know, why is the Lord allowing this to happen to me? Well, you know, there's no good in us. There's no good in them, and they don't even know the Lord. We have the Lord. Now there's good in us because it's the Holy Spirit who's in us, working these things in us, forgiving our sins, making it so that we don't have to follow after the sin, giving us by the power of the Holy Spirit the chance to walk after the Spirit. And he will. As long as we do, we walk. We can walk right after him, and he gives us that strength. This can be a great peace, really, and a great rest for us to surrender and acknowledge that we fall short. I mean, because the work is over. Enter into his rest, right? And that's what it talks about in Hebrews. Your work is done. Now it's seeking the Lord that he would work in and through us. How do we do that? Well, we ask. You know, he says, ask anything in my name. And I'll give it to you. Well, the context of that is, is abiding in the vine and bearing fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when you ask for these things that you desire to be kind, to be loving and all, that's what we ask for. And as we do, you know, he's, he's faithful. He's not going to give us a stone uh, any more than a father would give a stone to a child that asked for a piece of bread or give a snake to a, a child that asked for an egg. So much more, all we'd have to do is ask. And because we ask, he gives us, because he loves to give us his Holy Spirit to work in us. He loves us so much. It's got to be the, the foundation for everything that we think about when we relate to the Lord, and especially when it comes to trying to do our own good works. Ask him and let him work through us. Ask him for the love that you need for that person that you really have a hard time loving. Ask him for the obedience that you need to, to do what you're supposed to do at work or do what you're supposed to do for mom and dad or, or uh, whatever the, you know, you need to be obeying. And ask him for that strength. Ask him to work that into your life. And um, any good thing in you and me, any good thing that happens tonight or tomorrow is from God. Any good thing, it's from him. So he gets all the glory. Now, this is kind of a theme. If you want to turn to Psalm 14, or actually don't turn, you can just look on the other side of your page there. Psalm 14 is uh, a little more reinforcement. Verses 1 through 3, it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Well, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Notice this, there is none who, who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And they have all turned aside, all of us. They have all together become corrupt. Left to ourselves, there we go. There is none who does good. No, not one. If you flip over to Psalm 32, a few pages to the right, David was all too aware of his shortcomings and his uh, inability to, in and of his own strength, uh, keep keep from sinning. And... um, Psalm 32, 1 through 11 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Not the guy who's sinless, right? Not the guy who's perfect. The guy who knows he's a sinner and it's covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, if we would, we'd be dead. You know, the soul that sinneth shall die. And in those in whose spirit there is no deceit, And when I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turning into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, 
and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah, think on that. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Because you are a hiding place. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I will guide with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding and which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. If you're going to learn from the Lord, you know, just give yourself to the Lord. You know, don't be like the, the horse or the mule that you got to be, you know, tugged back from chasing after every whim and every, every sin that comes before you. You know, and again, here it is what he says, uh, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows, just like in Psalm 16, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you and upright in heart. And then Psalm 130, 130, carries it on. There's such good aspects to acknowledging your sin and then just letting God take you instead of resisting. Yeah, we're sinners, but no, we don't have to keep walking in it. And uh, Psalm 31 through 8, it's a short psalm. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Remember that. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. An example for us how he dealt with Israel and is faithful to Israel. And those that would deny that Israel is anything today because of uh, believing that the church has replaced Israel, well then, what's God's faithfulness all about? Why should God be faithful to me? Like he says right there, if he's not even going to be faithful to Israel to complete what he said he would do with them and the land, there's a promise there. And that's what he promised them. And yes, the day is coming when once again, you know, he will be uh, dealing with Israel for a period of time. And you've heard that well here and often. Romans 3. Um, if you can get back there to Romans, and we'll probably spend a little bit of time in Romans back and forth, so probably keep a finger in there a few times. We'll come back. But this stretch of Scripture, again, the idea here is to understand that our righteousness is in Him. Um, Verses 10 through 28. And Dwight went through this uh, weeks ago with, uh, as he went through Romans. And so I'm sure it's going to re- remind you of it, but it's never uh, a bad thing to remember. What then? Are we better than they? He was speaking of the Jews who had fallen away. Well, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have uh, practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, that list is interesting. You put your own name in there. I tried doing that, and I thought, I'm not that bad. But truth is, left to my own devices, put in the right circumstances, there's not a thing in this list that I probably wouldn't do. Left to my own self without the Lord. I don't know if that's true. for You guys are fine. I'm, it's just me. But now we know in verse 19 that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. So it's those who try and seek to keep the law and think that they're able to do all these things in and of their own strength. Well, this is for them. You know, the law is for those that think they can keep it because it proves they can't. 
And now we know that whatever the law says, it's to those that are under the law, so that they're all stopped, and everybody knows they're guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of the sin. It's, it's a school teacher. The law is nothing more than to hold a mirror up to you and make sure you know that you have fallen short so that you call on the Lord for salvation, so that you know you need a Savior. I mean, when you're sharing with somebody uh, you know, in your workplace or your friends or wherever you happen to be sharing with somebody, the first thing they need to understand is they, they're sinners. And if you've ever seen Ray Comfort, and if you haven't yet, you can go on YouTube and look for livingwaters.com and check out Ray Comfort. He's got such a gift of evangelism. And every time, the first place he starts is to let them be aware that they're liars, that they're you know, uh, fornicators or adulterers at heart or uh, uh, blasphemers taking the name of the Lord in vain. And he, he repeats that back to him. Well, then you're just a lying, thieving you know, adulterator at heart, you know. And how do you think God's going to judge on Judgment Day? These are the Ten Commandments. And those that are honest have to acknowledge heaven or hell. Well, it's it's hell for me. Well, is there something you want to do about that? And Ray does such a good job of it. And uh, so, um, but verse 21, is that where I was? Um, Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For who has sinned against the Lord? All. And, and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through the faith to, re, uh, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Whereas the boasting then, well, it's excluded by what? By the law of works? Well, no, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So I read through all that, and it's, it's kind of interesting because Ray usually ends up getting there when he's sharing with somebody too. You know, he, he's saying, you know, if you had a pile of speeding tickets, and they're serious, you go to jail if the pile's big enough, and somebody comes in and pays that for you, you can walk. You're still guilty. You're still the one that did the sinning, the speeding. But now here came Jesus, and he hung on the cross for all of your sins, paid that price. You're still the one that did the sinning, but he's the one that bore all those sins on the cross. And so that is where we find our justification. That is where we find our righteousness in Jesus and Jesus alone. So in Romans 4, Paul goes on to show how Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But there are still a lot of people who... Um, want to stand in their own righteousness. They really do believe that there's something in them that they got to get some credit for when it comes to standing before the Lord. Even in a lot of denominations, it's unfortunate, but many of them will continue to foster that by, what is it, indulgences or something, where you do so much and you get so many tickets and your relatives get out of purgatory or something. And I don't know how that works. I was Lutheran, but this thing, it still applies to where there is some type of liturgy, some type of, of uh, religion that you would be practicing, and, it's, and that's your salvation. Well, in Revelation 20, um, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. This is the, the account of the great white throne judgment at the end of time. And uh, this is after the thousand-year reign. This is after Satan was released after a thousand years and led nations, Gog, Magog, and, and rebellion again. And um, this is after the uh, Bema seat where the believers go, stand before the Lord, and they re- receive their rewards for their works. And uh, be it great or small, it's your believers. Your name is in the book of life. And uh, this is where you go to receive. As you know, you, your name is written in the book of life. 
when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and acknowledge that he's the one that paid the price for your sins and he rose from the dead. Your name is written in the book of life if you believe that and trust in that with all your heart. And, and uh, as such, we read in, in, uh, at the white, great white throne, um, here's John, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. All the things people put their trust in, the stars, they fled away. The earth, it fled away. Heaven and earth fled away. And you're standing there before the Lord by yourself, nobody else, nothing else that you can show the Lord from whatever happened on heaven or earth. And so, uh, and, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. Now this is uh, uh, all of them standing before the, the Lord, raised from, well in 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, the, Death and Hades were delivered up and the dead were in them. And they were judged. But it says uh, in 12, the books were opened and another book. So there's two little categories here, if you will. There's the books, stacked this pie, probably five feet deep around the whole stage, and then some for each one of these individuals. Every single thing. Well, you think about Google. And, or Google and the cloud and your iPhone listening to everything that you say or do, keeping a record. Seriously, computers are nothing more and have never been anything more than a recording device. Not necessarily everything you say, but every keystroke, it's recorded. I mean, it's all put down so they can use it to get to where you want to get to. You know, and so truth of it is, and all the spying technology, what is it? Uh, I get some of this uh, from uh, 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 listening to a study in, in Revelation uh, um, Joe Fosch, and he was saying that, you know, they've got this technology these days where you can shoot a laser through a window on a bag of potato chips, you know, however many miles or quarter mile away or whatever like that. And because the bag is so sensitive to vibration that the slightest whispering going on in that house is being picked up by that bag and the laser detects that and they can listen to anything in your house. Well, this is nothing compared to what the Lord has. The Lord has every single thing. He's known your heart. He knew everything about you before the foundation of the world. These are the books, good and bad, everything you ever did, good or bad. Well, do you want to be judged by that? And he brings out that book, and you're standing there. These are The saints are not here. These, the people who are written in the book of life, that's this book over here. And so you're standing before this great, great, white throne judgment, trying to stand in your own righteousness, and the Lord opens up the books. Okay, you remember this one? Yeah, but what about this one? Well, you remember this one? Yeah. And this one? Oh, man, not that. You know, just like that, you find yourself com- completely condemned. You can't stand in your own righteousness. And, you know, I guess I'm killing the point dead here. Uh, and, and I saw the dead, and, uh, small and great, were standing before the Lord, before God, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in all those books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. No, not me, please, Lord. Don't judge me according to my works. I'm in that book of life. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake of fire. Books and the book of life. For them, it's works and deeds, and for us, it's Revelation 21 and 22, and you can go home and read that tonight, but that's for us. That's where we're going to go. That's where we're headed. That's where we put our hope through Jesus Christ that we will one day be in Revelation 21 and 22, and that's for all eternity. And it's glorious, and I sure hope and pray that you, when you get home and your last thing you do before you go to bed is just read those two chapters and, and uh, praise the Lord. So, um, yes, we're sinners. You know, we keep our eyes on the Lord, and, and we set our hope on Him. And that hope is not disappointed. Romans 5, uh, if you want to go back there, <clears throat> and it's verses 1 through 11. Uh, I was just going to do 5 through 11, but you've got to lead up to it. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. I know that's hard, but we glory in it, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. And notice this, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for us, the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would die or even dare to die. And we got lots of guys in the service and uh, serving this country and all for that, you know, who lay down their lives. We got police officers on the streets who lay down their lives for the good of uh, society and all and, and for our constitution and for our country. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, still in the thick of it, he died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we have been saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled now, we have been saved by his life. And not only that, We are also rejoicing in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received that reconciliation. You know, yes, we're sinners, but Christ died for us. Yeah, we were enemies, but now we're reconciled, justified, and saved. Amen? And uh, so that word propitiation, every time I get up here, I somehow land on that word. Don't ask me why, but we read it earlier. And that's what's going on here. Jesus died for our sins and by his blood that was justified because that blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. The mercy seat that's in heaven. That propitiation, he is that mercy seat. Mercy seat. And again, God's law. And if we want to stand by that pile of books over here for our own righteousness, and here's God's law. And he is, he is a holy God that cannot be, abide with sin. And uh, here he is, the Shekinah glory of God. Then there was the mercy seat, who is our Lord. And then there was a law. If there's no mercy between you and the law, and between the Lord and the law that we can't keep, well, we're dead. We should be judged, and rightly so. Since the fall of man, we're all born sinners. Um, In uh, verse 3, back in uh, Psalm 16, it says, As for the saints who are on the earth... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now that word saint there is the word kadosh. And we sing a song here um, every once in a while called kadosh. And it simply means holy, the sacred, the holy one, set apart to God. So who is David talking about here? He says the excellent ones, the the majestic ones, the kings and the nobles. It has to do with those maybe um, past and present who put their trust in God or walked accordingly, like David knew about Abraham. And afterward, you know, to this day, all those that feared the Lord and walked accordingly. Um, Samuel was around when David was around. Nathan, the prophet. Many of the congregation of Israel that David knew who also loved the Lord. It wasn't just David was the only guy. There there were many in Israel that feared the Lord, worshipped the Lord. Uh, We read of accounts when the Lord set aside for himself many who would not bow the knee to Baal and and to others. And so this could be who he's talking about. But there's also a a hint here towards, and as we get down towards uh, allowing your Holy One to see corruption, you know, he's talking about the heavenly things. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew, and David prophesied of the Messiah. And he knew he's talking about his Holy One that would not see corruption. And we'll get to that. But in, uh, you know, it's the excellent, the majestic ones, and has to do with the, the kings and the nobles. And what does he say? He says, my delight, my pleasure, my desire, longing to be, worship alongside these, type, these guys, you know, and uh, fellowship with them. And so that's David's uh, desire is these saints. Now, here we are. You know, if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, trusted in him, and are depending on resurrection because he raised from the dead. You know, here we are. We're holy ones. We're saints. We can fellowship together. There should be no reason for us to be uh, concerned 
You know, if, if someone starts bringing in false teaching, I would pray and hope that we all know the word that we can say, hey, wait a minute, no, you're, you're a wolf's in sheep's clothing. Uh, we're going to deal with that. But otherwise, there's no reason we can't share and have a fellowship and love among the brethren. And that, that's something that's going to just be what the Lord does in us. We all come from different backgrounds. I don't know that coming from where I came from, I would hang around with half of you. But the Lord's got me, you know. I, I don't think you'd hang around with me. I, I honestly know you wouldn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I would hang around with anybody because I'm just, you know, I need friends. But um, <laughs> anyway, so backgrounds are uh, standing aside. Now we're saved. Now we're, now we're with him. We're with the Lord. And we are with each other in him. There's no reason we can't have that, what the Bible talks about is koinonia, a like-mindedness, a willingness to, to be vulnerable and trusting and praying. And, you know, people still let us down. People show up for all kinds of different reasons. And there's never going to be a perfect church. If there is, don't go there because it's no longer going to be perfect. I'm sure you've all heard that. But it's one of those things where, where we have to realize that there's grace for those times. And there's mercy for those times. There's patience for those times. And if a person's willing to be corrected, things get fixed. You know, and sometimes it, the hurts are bad. Sometimes uh, it just doesn't work. But, you know, the Lord still is faithful. And one day... We'll all be with him, and there will be that fellowship. Verse 4 is a contrast, and it pretty much stands alone by itself. It says, their sorrows shall be multiplied, those who hasten after another god. You know, they, their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Those who go after another god and the sorrows. Um, you know, they're around. There's no need to speak their name is kind of what he's saying. The name of these gods is not going to pass my lips. But what he's more saying is, you know, it's, he's not going to be doing the reciting that people do about that. He's not going to be doing the, the honoring of these names as if, as if they're anything. You know, Baal was, should have been a small B if it wasn't for the name attached to it. You know, all these gods were nothing. I mean, they used to take, and take a piece of wood, cut down a tree, and we've read that, that where Jeremiah talks about it, uh, cut down a tree and out of part of it you burn to cook your food and the other part of it you build a chair out of and then one part you take and carve into this little idol and you put it up there and you say, this is my provider and my God. You built the thing yourself. I mean, if you've got to haul your own God around, he's not the right God. Um, he shouldn't be dependent on us, you know. And so uh, Romans 16, if you'd turn there again, back to Romans when it comes to dealing with what we should do with these evil gods, all the things that they are, what their names are, 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And Dwight just went through this. But it says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good. And notice this. Be simple concerning evil. Well, that word simple, you know, is, is to be just ignorant, really about all the evil that's out in the rest of the world. We don't need to, to, you know, Jesus said, be like lambs among wolves. We don't need to be the guys that are up on the latest wickedness out there so that we can pound the pulpit and, you know, smack people around because of it. We don't need to know all that stuff. You know, whatever it's all about, they just need to know the Lord. They just need to have the gospel preached to them. Philippians 2.15, if you want to flip over there, a little more along those lines. Just one verse, it says, um, well, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing, but that you may become blameless, and the word harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, that word harmless literally means unmixed. In other words, it's not mixed up with evil. It's simple, same kind of word that was talked about earlier. You know, it's funny because, you know, we don't need to be going and looking on, you know, the 
album, you know, Hotel California to find, try and find, uh, what's his name, uh, Anton LaVey or whatever. You know, we don't need to know that. We don't need to go listen to Stairway to Heaven and play it backwards to see if we can hear him say 666. You remember that back back in the 80s? Um, this was the thing. Everybody was saying, oh, Led Zeppelin's, you know, of the devil. Well, yeah, because, I mean, come on. Uh, that's They have absolutely nothing to do with the Lord uh, when, and all their stuff at that time, you know. But nevertheless, people are going, well, we've got to go listen to that because it's so wicked. Don't listen to your albums backwards. Well, Great, because back in the early 80s, there was a band named Petra. Anybody hear of Petra? Yes, just about everybody. They had this uh, one song I used to, it was just the greatest, I used to crank it to the max, was uh, Jesus Freak. No, that's, that's DC Talk. No, it's uh, Judas Kiss. And uh, if you guys remember that song, Judas Kiss. Anyways, and, and so in between was this clear backwards, in between the songs, so it wasn't hidden in any music at all, it was this clear backwards uh, you know, bloop, 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 and they go, well, i got to listen to that backwards because Led Zeppelin had 666. What's Petra doing? He says, what are you looking for the devil for when you ought to be looking for the Lord? That's exactly what it was. It's the greatest, you know, you can't do that now because you're, you know, unless you got a record player. <laughs> and they're getting popular again, right? So, you know, we don't need to go be looking for what is evil out in the world. You know, sufficient is just what the Lord puts in front of us. And you know, people that are spending their time there are hurting. People that are spending their time there are beat up. And they might have a smile on their face and they might be gratifying their flesh, but you know, they pay the price. And there might be a time. Doesn't, we don't need to know what the evil was. We just need to know that they've been broken. And they might be coming around and we can share with them. For David, there was no other gods. No need for offering any blood sacrifice to anything else. No need to know their liturgies or recite their names, but uh, when the wolves bring in heresy to the church, well, then we do. When it starts getting brought into the church, yeah, we're going to expose it, we're going to refute it, and we're going to protect the flock from those kind of deceptions. Timothy is all about that. Paul wrote to Timothy. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets that come in in sheep's clothing, but really are ravenous wolves. In verse 5 and 6, back in Psalm 16, I'm not going to get through this tonight. Oh, boy. Um, Life with God, verse 5 and 6. So, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And we sang about the inheritance tonight. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. And yes, I have a good inheritance. You know, the lot is the portion. The Lord is our portion. We have God. We've talked about this already tonight, the portion, the allotment to live on is what it means. You know, our inheritance, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word of God. Now the lines are measured for David by God. He talks about these lines have fallen. Well, he's just talking about being content. You know, contentment is so wise. Like I said before, you're Richard and Bill Gates if you're content with what you have because he's still hungry. You all know it. He's still powerful. He's he's or still greedy for power. I mean, he's got all the money he needs. Now he's trying to use it to gain all the power he can possibly have in the world, and we're all too aware of that. And uh, so, yeah, but if you're content, well, just like that, you're content. You don't need it any more than what God's providing for you. And that is such a, a great, great way to find peace in the midst of trials about things about stuff. And um, so um, so we also share in that same good inheritance that Dave's talking about when he says, O oh Lord, you are my portion. Because even now we have full and free relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he maintains our lot. He takes care of us, sets our lives for good and not for evil. And when we're called up home to be with him, and we have a, an inheritance. You know, eye hasn't seen or ear heard what he saved up for us. It's already a done deal, established, because Jesus said, whosoever believes in him has eternal life. It's a done deal as of the day you give your life to him. In verse 7, it says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Well, God's counsel. David had counselors. You remember the story of Ahithophel? Or Ahithophel? who David later 
ask the Lord to confuse Ahithophel and make his counsel sound like uh, foolishness because he ended up with Absalom and against David. But these are the counselors. You know, he had other counselors as well. And, and when God sent Nathan to David, well, he was quick to repent. And God brings to mind his word. Look at what it says in the night seasons. If you're willing to receive it, and often when, it's, when we can't sleep, often when it's our hearts are churning and our minds are rustling, and it, you might call that the night seasons, but there's night seasons where you wake up and you dwell in the Lord and the things of the Lord, and it's pleasant. You know, anxiety is not a problem, and you have peace from the Lord. And your heart brings to mind those things that the Lord's done in your life, and we talked about that. You know, having sleepless nights gets a lot more frequent when you get older. I mean, I don't know, maybe you don't work so hard. When I worked construction, I didn't have a sleepless night the entire time because you work, and you go home and you sleep because you worked. And it's like that, really, through most of our lives until you get a little older and you're not maybe working so hard or for other reasons, health reasons, or just because people, when they get older, don't sleep necessarily as much. You have a lot of that, a little more of that anyways, where you have those uh, night seasons and all. Verse 8 and 9, David sets the Lord always before him. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and and I shall not be moved. Well, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh also will rest in hope. Now, Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 24. I think we can go there and see if that doesn't kind of squeeze in here tonight still. Second Chronicles 20. And this was a study that I just heard by J.D. Farag about a week ago, a week and a half ago. And if you... How many people listen to J.D. Farag? If you don't, uh, check it out. It's, F, it's not Frog. It's F-A-R-A-G. All right? And he's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Hawaii. And he says it right. I don't. But um, he does updates, and especially concerning the days that we're living in. Uh, 1 through 24. Um, Jehoshaphat was a good king in Israel. Uh, he had made an alliance with Ahab, and uh, they went to battle together, and that was a problem. And the Lord was wrath was kindled against Jehoshaphat in verse 19 because he had made this alliance with Ahab. Well, Ahab died in battle. Jehoshaphat, though, returns to the Lord, and he begins to to go out among the people to the mountains, and he brought back the Lord uh, to them. You know, he brings everything back to Jerusalem. Um, he set judges in the land and, and all. Um, and he began just drawing close to the Lord and drawing the people close to the Lord. He'd go out and talk to them. And so getting down to, verse, or to chapter 20, um, it happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now it doesn't say they necessarily came together. They kind of were coming in just simultaneously, I think, and some of it maybe was together. But then it says, Some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is Engedi. Now, Engedi, if you go uh, from Jerusalem straight across to the Dead Sea, you come right over to the top of the Dead Sea. You go down from, from one end of the Dead Sea to the other. Smack dab in the middle is this, uh, this little gorge that goes up. So whenever it rains in Jerusalem, that afternoon or evening after the mountains have soaked up all the rain and it comes out in En Gedi and there's this waterfall and it's just this unbelievable thing where there's water. It's like a paradise in the valley of En Gedi when it's raining and all around is desert and the Dead Sea, it flows into the Dead Sea and all of that. But En Gedi was this, not that far from Jerusalem, you know, and here's all these armies that are gathering together and Jehoshaphat feared, but he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, fasting is good. There are times we're called to fasting. You know, there, what, what does it do? Well, it makes our flesh weak so that our spirit can be strong. Not that the spirit isn't strong in us always, but it's a point at which now we now have the, the desire to seek and draw close to the Lord, and, and it has that uh, aspect to it, fasting. Jesus said there's some demons that won't come out without fasting and prayer. 
And so, but he set forth this fast throughout all Judah. All the people in Judah are drawing close to the Lord. And Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Amazing. Jehoshaphat had brought Israel back to the Lord in a lot of ways. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, our God, our fathers, are you, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? So he's calling on the Lord who created heaven and earth, who created everything that there is, including the swords that these guys, the metal that make up the swords of these guys that are coming against them. He keeps the heartbeat in every person. He keeps the lungs working. He gives us our breath. And so nothing, there's no one who can withstand uh, the Lord. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? You know, when you're praying, there's no reason you can't, Ask the Lord according to his word. You know, Lord, you love me. I know you love me. Lord, I know you love these people I'm trying to share with more than I do. And Lord, won't you just, you know, work in their hearts. Put your name in their hearts that they might call on you. Let the words come back to them. And he'll honor that. He knows you can pray according to his will, it says. And, uh, and they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For the name, for your name, is in this temp- temple. And, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. So back when Moses was taking them through the wilderness and coming up around to come across up near uh, uh, the Jordan River, north of here, uh, you know, the Lord didn't allow them to go in and defeat these enemies. Uh, But now here they are coming around and invading, and here's Jehoshaphat saying, look at what's coming back to get us. And you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes upon you, our eyes are upon you. Can you mark that scripture in your Bible and maybe even you know print it out somewhere and put it up? Number one. We have no power against this. We're kind of getting there in our country right now. There's things going on that we're stolen outright. And God maybe allowed it to be stolen outright, you know, but here we are. And we really don't have a whole lot of power. They got all the guns. Now, we might have our own personal one, but they've got Hausers, Howitzers or whatever, you know, and much, much more than that. You know, so what's, uh, we have no power against this great multitude. They know, they recognize the fact that they're outgunned, okay, that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. They don't even know what to do. I don't necessarily really know what to do when these mandates come down the pike. You know, I'm trusting the Lord. i got to look to the Lord. And it says, but our eyes are upon you. That's so important with anything we're dealing with. Maybe it's a surgery. Maybe it's a, 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 a doctor's visit. Maybe it's some circumstance that we just do not want to face. You know, whatever the case may be, you know, eyes on the Lord and watch and see what he's going to do. We were talking earlier about people and their self-righteousness and talking about them depending on their own ability to save themselves or their own ability to do righteous things. And we were talking about the rest of us who realize that we got no good in us and we're utterly dependent on the Lord. You know, uh, Psalms say that... uh, He has ordained praise out of the mouths of babes and infants. How is it that these infants know how to praise the Lord? Well, it's not so much that they know how. It's just that they're dependent on the Lord. Lord, feed me. Lord, change me. Lord, where did you go? Uh, Come back. Oh, there you are. You know, just like an infant. 
All they know is how dependent they are. All we need to know is how dependent we are on the Lord. And as he describes it here, you know, uh, our eyes are upon you. And down to 24, all Judah with their little ones and their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and he prophesied. And he said, listen, all you Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and the King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, don't be afraid nor dismayed of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. Keep that in mind. But the battle is the Lord's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. Well, that right there is that little delta right outside of En Gedi. And so they're all gathered down there, and they're going to start coming up through the crevices and get, start heading towards the outer parts of the where Jerusalem and the outer cities are, where they're trying to guard. And so... Uh, before the wilderness of Jerul and right by the Dead Sea. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Really. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord and you don't need to fight. Position yourselves and stand still and see and watch the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and O Jerusalem, do not fear. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. And boy, I need to hear that. I just need to hear that. We all need to hear that the Lord is with us. We need to be reminded. We need to forget our self-righteousness. We need to, to walk in him and just be reminded that he's with us. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices and loud and high voices. And so they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of the Tekoya. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the, in the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Boy, you know, when you go into battle, it's like you've got the mean face and you've got the armor and you've got the guns and everything else and that's how you're going out to battle. What are you doing? You've got a bunch of guys coming at you and they're singing. High praises to the Lord. It's like, you know. So they began to sing and to praise the Lord and, set, and the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. I don't think he sent, he didn't send Israel. They're standing by and singing. But he set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and were def- and they were defeated. Look at how it is. The people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They, they ambushed themselves to utterly kill, utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, well, then they helped to destroy one another until there was nothing left. So Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and they were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. The Lord delivered them. David sets the Lord always before him in verse 8 and 9 God, and puts God at his right hand. He operates in God's strength, not moved, not anxious, not shaken, he says, not rattled. And we're faced with all kinds of stuff these days. We don't need to be moved. We don't need to be shaken or rattled, you know, set God before you and see what he will do. And then we can say, like David says in verse 9, with a glad heart and rejoicing and rest. We rest in that. You know, in verse 10, it speaks of the resurrection. And it's speaking of the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, a reference a prophecy of Jesus Christ rising, raising from the dead. I don't understand how the Sadducees couldn't see it, but you know the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And we can go to Matthew 27, and uh, you know even all the witnesses of the resurrection and all the people that came out of the graves when when Jesus died on the cross and said it's finished and gave up the ghost from the top of the curtain in the temple to the bottom, it was torn in two. Now the holy of holies is exposed. If you're standing there, you're dead except for the fact that that sacrifice was just made, except for the fact that Jesus just paid the price. And so the, the sanctuary was, uh, the Holy of Holies was open, 
No more division between God and man through Jesus Christ. In Acts 1, they stipulated to the one that was going to replace Judas. He would have to be a witness to the resurrection, they said. That's the stipulation. If you're going to be an apostle to replace Judas, you're not going to be able to do that unless you can witness. You were an eyewitness of the resurrection. There are hundreds of witnesses. I think, I uh, can't remember who wrote the book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You know, if you were to take these many witnesses into a court of law, there'd be absolutely no doubt. And in the days we're living in, um, you know, people just refuse. They just don't want to hear the judges. Many of them are corrupt. Um, and we have to deal with that. Um, so Romans 1, it also says the resurrection declares that Jesus, it's the resurrection that declares that Jesus is the Son of God. It's what you know that he's the Son of God by the fact that he raised from the dead. He was the firstborn from the dead, and we all follow. In 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't mind, you guys got an extra five minutes of your own time you want to give me. If you want to go to 1 Corinthians 15, um, 12 through 19, I can just read it. And we'll do also verses 50 through 58. Um, the idea here is, you know, the resurrection is the very center of our faith. Without it, we're hopeless and really kind of stupid for even doing all this if there's no resurrection. You know, pitied by all men. Uh, 15, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, you're saying it didn't happen. For if the dead are not, uh, do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, of all men, most pitiable. And 50 and 50 through 58 is, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, so that when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to the pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And you know, the older you get, the more you realize you could actually die before the Lord comes back. And it's kind of scary at first. And sometimes, you know, you have to think on that for a while and the Lord kind of deals with you. Uh, but truth of it is, he always brings this to mind. We get through what we got to get through, whatever that is, whatever that time is that, that we spend the last hours or whatever it is, it's nothing compared to eternity and setting our eyes on that. And so when this... Uh, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Death, the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Here it is, same as David. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you're doing as unto the Lord, when we're raised from the dead, when we go before the Lord and, and we go before his throne and are, are given our rewards for what we've done in, in, in him, you know, they cast their crowns before the Lord anyways. It's all his glory, all of it, no matter what we've done. It's not for our own, it's for him. And eternal life, in verse 11, that path of life, the way of life and getting to God's presence, you know, he says that he leads us in that. He gives us that. Um, he will show a, me the path of life. In, in your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness being complete joy. You know, there's coming a time when there will be joy and there's nothing going to take it away. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, that 
presence of God equals joy. And again, pleasures evermore. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. That's all I got. Why don't we stand and pray? Lord, uh, we are so grateful and words fall so short. All I ask, Lord, is that you would work in our hearts, that uh, from the heart we would know that you love us, that we would know what Jesus has done for us, and that we know that we can be justified and righteous in your eyes because of the blood that was shed. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us from trusting in our own works, trusting in the books that will be opened, because that's not for us, Lord. That's for those who want to be self-righteous and justify themselves, Lord. We just pray and continue to remind us that you have written us in your book of life. And when that book is opened, Lord, there we are. And we're so grateful for that. And uh, we continue to want to do all that you have for us to do here. And we just ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us the power and the strength to do so, whatever it is. And so I pray you go with us this week. And, uh, and Lord, when uh, we go out in the world, I pray you'd be with us, that we would know that we're not going out there without you. And we lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.